So West Central really started out as one of Fort Wayne's first neighborhoods. Um, the section right on Wilt Street, Jones Street, Labina, um, the home I, I just purchased right there on Wilt Street dates back to around 1860. So this would have been some of the first developments as the city would start to grow and more manufacturing would come in and the city would continue to grow. But I mean, really, it's just a, a very old historic area. And so as you know, that GE plant came and you had 10,000 employees, tons of those lived in all the workers' cottages right around there. And then you go maybe two or three or four streets over to Wayne and Barry, and you'd have a lot of Fort Wayne's first industrialists and politicians and doctors who kind of built their larger estates there. to another episode of Neighboring, our podcast at NeighborLink, where we attempt to ask a couple of questions. One of those questions is, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? And the second question that we're asking more this year is, what makes a healthy neighborhood actually healthy? And uh, today's guests, Ben and Tyler, both residents and uh, neighborhood association members and leadership of the West Central neighborhood, one of the more prominent, well-known neighborhoods in, in Fort Wayne due to its proximity to downtown and its development and a lot of history with that. And uh, they're also participants in kind of our What Makes a Healthy Neighborhood Healthy Research Project. And so part of our desire with these conversations is to kind of create a baseline through conversation. Uh, much of these projects spend a lot of time affirming what we already kind of feel and know. And for you guys, have done a ton of research, which I want to hear more about already and uh and then really trying to figure out like through conversation so as we get through this research and later this summer and what we learn and did we get do we know what we're talking about what else did we learn what are we learning from some other neighborhoods about, but i'm pretty sure we're gonna find out something i mean i feel like we're on to something here but the data is gonna reveal and see you know what what's really in store well ben and tyler thank you for joining us on neighboring would love for you guys to introduce yourselves individually and tell us how, how you got connected to West Central and what caused you guys to move in there individually. Okay. I mean, Ben, you want to? No, I'll, go ahead, sir. I'll start off. So i longtime resident of Fort Wayne, grew up here on the north side, went to Northrop High School, was always involved in music things, went down to Indiana University, and then I lived in Columbus, Indiana for three years. So kind of spent six years, seven years away from Fort Wayne and always wanted to make the leap back up to Fort Wayne. I had friends who would say, man, you know, the kind of tides changing in Fort Wayne, it's a pretty cool place to be. I'd come back each Christmas and each summer and you'd see the new ballpark or you'd see, um, you know, some of the new festivals downtown or the new Ash Brokerage building. And it just seemed like it was a really cool place to be. And you'd also look at real estate prices and it was just an affordable place to, to be. So I made the move back to Fort Wayne in January of 2017, I lived at the Harrison in one of those ballpark apartments. So it was oh, a great wow. place to really move back to, could have friends and family over. We'd watch the ball games, have 30 nights of fireworks. And um, that actually falls within the West Central boundaries, um, right there, kind of smack dab in the middle of it. So when my one year lease was up, I made the move into a smaller studio apartment back right in the heart of West Central on Wayne Street and reached out to Ben, I think, and said, 
hey, Ben, I'm looking to get involved in this neighborhood. I really like the character. I like the folks in it. It just seems like a really cool place to be and was invited to the board and said yes to a lot of things that were thrown at me and responsibilities and um, moved up here to be in vice president. So it's been a really cool, exciting run. And we did a way to get involved. Mm -hmm. what, say that again? Said way to get it involved. Yeah, as oh, yeah. impressed, like, I mean, you didn't have to, but you made a point to not only reach out and contact Ben, mm -hmm. but, I mean, I've been to some West Central meetings and stuff, and you're just kind of one of the leading voices. I mean, it's a choice that people make, and you made that choice, and it's not like you're getting paid for it, or it's just you you show up with passion, and you listen to everybody, and... I, it's it was really really neat to see you in action like that's you've really taken on and adopted that neighborhood and made it your own. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I, I think really it just kind of comes from uh, there's like an older guard of neighbors that have been active for 20, 30 years, and as they kind of uh, some folks get burnout, some folks get um, you know busy in other things, and that creates opportunities for younger folks moving to the neighborhood to kind of move up and step into some of those roles. And you might not feel like you're ready for it, but you just kind of take that leap and jump into some of those. And also, just there's so much information that you find out in getting involved and going to these meetings. Everyone that is involved is connected with so many other spheres in town that you find out about local development, local culture, local arts, uh, economic news, finding out about electric works. So you just sit at this table and just soak in all this information. Wow. And that's what I love. Ben, introduce yourself. How did you get connected to West Central initially? Well, my name's Ben Wally, and I grew up on a farm. So I was a farm kid. That's awesome. Uh, not, a, not a city kid at all. <laughs> uh, and I ended up moving down to Houston, Texas. So I grew up in this area and moved to Houston, Texas for four years and lived pretty close to downtown. And that's where I started to learn about big city stuff, you know, like uh, all the good stuff all the stuff to do and the restaurants and you know pubs all that and then some crime and some bad stuff but it was big city stuff yeah and so i moved back to small town usa and my wife and i were looking thinking about what we might want to do next and she really wanted to move downtown and her cousin is our architect um scott greider's done a lot of good architectural work for us so he, so he took us on a two and a half hour walking tour and that's when I started to see, oh, there's something going on down here. So, you know, we picked a house to rehab. Um, super, probably paid too much for the house. Definitely spent too much on the rehab. And we're looking for, well, is there any grants or what funding could be available, you know, to help somebody, just a regular couple that are that's doing this. And my wife found that the Neighborhood Association, you could get $500 if you paid $25. I'm like, that's a great value statement, right? So wow. join for 25 bucks and get $500 back reimbursement for painting the house. Well, it's great. So now, you know, almost five years later, uh, you know, we just see this opportunity to get involved and to positively affect the neighborhood that you're in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I was uh, part of corporate America, worked for Do It Best Corp, which is a great company. But the more houses we bought, and I always wanted to be a real estate agent, I decided one day it was time to make the change. And so that put me full into real estate and buying houses and working on houses. And, I'm, and I want to do that in the neighborhood I love. Yeah. Um, so that's where our developments happened is in West Central. Uh, when Tyler reached out to me and we did a few things, I was pretty impressed with Tyler's 
you know, just thought process and initiative. And so he and I started talking about leadership of the neighborhood. Um, and Tyler stepped in. Tyler developed all the electric works signs that you saw everywhere. Yeah, everyone so that was, yeah, Tyler had that idea and said, hey, what if we did signs and this is what we could do? And the board immediately got behind it. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we gave out, and I say we, it was mostly me a little bit and lots of Tyler with his car, but we did a hundred signs in, in a, a day. day. What? Well, yeah, and, and that was because neighbors were saying, me. I want one. Yeah. It wasn't, hi, we're, we put one in your yard, yeah. Lindsay. Yeah. And dude, now you have one. No, they were saying, yeah, we, we're trying to keep up with this influx of requests. Uh, and we did 100 and then another 100 and then we ordered 200 more and then Greater Fort Wayne ordered 2,000 of them wow. and now there's drop-off points to, you know, to get them. And you saw them everywhere and it wasn't just West Central anymore. I mean, they were all over the city. Yeah. Uh, ben, for those that may not know much about the Electric Words Project, just give like a quick summary of what that project, because it is connected to your neighborhood and, and in adjacent. Yes. So just give like an audience member that maybe not, doesn't know what that project, what it is. Absolutely, yeah, thank you. So the GE, General Electric used to have, you know, many buildings here, lots of workers. I mean, there was 10,000 workers that would walk into work every day at the General Electric campus. And it's been such shut down and sunsetted and was starting to decay. And the Electric Works development is a project, and that will be the name of the development, to take all those buildings and do a multi-reuse. So you'll have, some residential living, you'll have light industrial or light commercial, you'll have retail, you'll have pubs and bars. And the really the, the core thing that makes that work is that they find a an educational facility that will do an innovation center so people can go in and create and invent. And then they needed a food market. And so they were able to secure both of those early on. Mm. Uh, and I know uh, enough about this because we went and saw the, another development that they did in Durham, uh, North Carolina, where they took the American tobacco plant and they it was sunsetted and it was empty brick buildings and they did a multi-use uh, revamp of those buildings and it is phenomenal. I mean, it's beautiful that it wasn't vacant because I was there three years after they opened that. So that gave me a lot of confidence that these guys knew what they were doing, and this could be very successful. That's neat that you went to visit the other one just to have some, like, a frame of mind of what something this big. I mean, I, I think that that's an issue for a lot of people. They're like, wait, is it actually going to work if we invest in this? Or, I mean, what's really to come if we, you know, go full force into it? So you took the time to go and see, you know, in North Carolina where it already had happened and is working and functioning well. So good for you. That's impressive. To be fair, we were on vacation in North Carolina. And so, right. But I'm like, we've got to take the extra two hours. We have to go see this place. Yeah. And then of course, since we're in real estate, we of course go find the first street and we're like checking out what, what did home prices do? You know, before it started, when, after it started, sure. then three years later, what it was. And you know, of course that increase is significant. Um, but you know, it was, yeah. it was a neat experience. So I came back because, you know, we were really concerned about the electric works project and what it, it does it do to quiet residential streets. What does it do for parking? Cause there's lots of street parking today. Will residents be able to park their cars in front of their homes? I mean, we had some, what we felt were really valid concerns yeah. and then also the quality. But when I went down there and saw how well it worked, 
that gave me a lot of confidence to get on board. Yeah. It's uh, one of those big projects uh, here in Fort Wayne that is a bit controversial in terms of support, not support. It's a huge project. It's, uh, it's a big deal for Fort Wayne and for a neighborhood that it touches. There's lots of additional factors. And uh, more people asking is all development, good development is really necessary and asking about what are the both the positive and negative impacts. Because yes, this is great. And if nothing happens, then that's not any better, but we should be asking these deeper questions. Uh, there are lots of conversations around Electric Works. I feel like we could have like four podcasts oh, on that yeah. uh, conversations. Uh, to keep on, uh, paint a picture, try to paint a picture of West Central. So West Central really started out as one of Fort Wayne's first neighborhoods. Um, the section right on Wilt Street, Jones Street, Lavina, um, the home I, I just purchased right there on Wilt Street dates back to around 1860. So this would have been some of the first developments as the city would start to grow and more manufacturing would come in and the city would continue to grow. But I mean, really, it's just a, a very old historic area. And so as you know, that GE plant came and you had 10,000 employees, tons of those lived in all the workers' cottages right around there. And then you go maybe two or three or four streets over to Wayne and Barry, and you'd have a lot of Fort Wayne's first industrialists and politicians and doctors who kind of built their larger estates there. So it's neat hearing the names of some of these folks that used to live in those bigger, maybe 3,000, 4,000 square foot cool brick homes on Wayne and Barry. A lot of the downtown streets are named after them. There's uh, Sweeney, there's the theme, a lot of the parks too with um, like Sweeney Park and uh, a couple of the other ones. So as Fort Wayne's grown though, and you had more of like the 50s, 60s where the suburbs really became uh, where folks wanted to move out of the city, kind of West Central dipped a bit and you had a lot of those larger mansions and homes going to disrepair so that they could stay up. A lot of them got chopped into four or five apartments. So you had these beautiful grand homes where then now folks are taking the kitchen and cutting it in half and dropping a toilet and a bathtub in there. And really it's just been these past 10, 15 years as downtowns resurged. You get the ball diamond down there. You get the convention center down there. Folks want to be down there. You get the farmer's markets and it's just a cool place that, I mean, Ben, you can probably attest to it more with your background in real estate, but I think some of the home values have almost doubled in a lot of the area in the past five years mm -hmm. as you've had folks hold on to some of these historic homes and then now they're being invested in, they're being rehabbed where those big mansions that had six apartments are now being reconverted back into a single family home with someone who's lovingly and caringly spending $300,000 to kind of meticulously make it this really cool home that would kind of um, hold up to what it used to be back when it was made. So it's, it's just been really, really exciting with that. Ben, you were, we were talking a little bit before we got started about West Central kind of having multiple zones. Uh, West Central has a few kind of corridors, some major roads, some defining things like a railroad track that kind of split things up, which kind of changed the dynamic or impact some of the dynamic. Can pick up where Tyler left off in terms of some of the key characteristics that makes West Central unique in terms of while the public perception kind of gives you this one area, there are other areas too, but... Yeah, no, thank you. So as Tyler, I think very well described, workers' cottages and then larger estates, uh, what most people thought of West Central was Wayne Street and Berry Street, and that was West Central. 
uh, when we moved in, we bought our first house uh, January of 2015. Uh, Washington and Jefferson were starting to become developed. And now all of a sudden people say, oh yeah, when well, we drive through uh, West Central on Washington or Jefferson. Okay, now the perception changed. You know, now you're going from Main Street down to Jefferson. It's a wider swath of the, what that perception is. Um, West Central is actually, the boundaries are Main Street all the way south to Taylor and then Sweeney all the way over to Calhoun Street. So we have 2,500 households in the neighborhood, which is a pretty good sized neighborhood. Um, and then it's broken up into areas. So area one is right up on the Main Street. Area two is Wayne and Barry. Uh, area three is from Jefferson south to the tracks. Area four would be from Broadway over to uh, Brackenridge, kind of that Fulton Street area. Mm -hmm. And then area five goes from the railroad tracks down to Taylor Street. So you're, where Tyler was talking about the bigger estates, well, those, those were the richest people. They had the biggest, fanciest homes. And then, you know, you get down to workers' cottages, and then that just becomes this mix of homes in the rest of these areas. You have some larger homes, you have some smaller homes um, in there. From an economic development standpoint, you know, as people say, oh, now that we think West Central's from Main Street to Jefferson, well, now people go dump hundreds of thousands of dollars I mean, it's not uncommon to hear someone that spent three to four hundred thousand on a renovation, and you walk in and everything has been meticulously restored: the staircase and the floors and the moldings and the stained glass. And you go, you walk in, and it's just amazing. From a Tyler mentioned real estate values, you know, those don't really get any value because they don't sell them. So those people invest the money and then they don't sell, and you can't really very well. Although at times I do give a little report about it, you actually have to sell a home. So home values over the last four years have more than doubled in some areas. So you could have bought a house in that, in that you know, most expensive area for maybe 130, 145. And now think about someone will have spent maybe 100 to 150 and they'll turn right around and sell it for 350, 365. Uh, that's more than double in four years. So what this has caused, though, is this caused this conversation around gentrification. And what does that mean for West Central? And what will West Central do about it? You know, we have goals of signage and some infrastructure, branding, some goals that we've been checking off the list. But I think our biggest challenge right now is gentrification. So I live on Garden Street. Someone wanted to buy my house, and it just appraised now at $336,000 on Garden Street south of Jefferson. So now people will start to go, oh, now it's Main Street down to the tracks, right? I mean, it has grown quickly over the last five years. Downtown has really done a lot for that. Uh, the cities helped. The cities picked out 10 homes that they did themselves to help generate. And so people need to walk in with this perception, but now it's not just perception. Now there are sold comparable sales that say, oh, homes are worth this much money. Mm -hmm. So in gentrification, which I'll give you a loose, a loose description of that or definition, you know, in my mind, that's when everything gets so expensive and people are loving the values that are going up. And then you have folks that no longer can afford to live there. And in the beginning, the folks that were causing, that were committing crimes or were very tough to live by, 
those are the first people that are, it's a real visible example and they leave and you go, great, this is really good. Look, it's changing. Homes aren't vacant. They're getting fixed up. You know, the people that weren't as good a fit or now have moved out of the neighborhood until you meet, and I met this guy, his name was Bill. He was an older guy and he was losing his apartment and he couldn't afford much. And the owners of that apartment, that multi-unit place that Tyler described, they ask everyone to leave. They're converting it back to single family so they can sell it and they can make money because they see the market has come up to that point. Mm -hmm. Well, Bill's going on knocking on everybody's door. Hey, I'm looking for an apartment. I don't have much money. Well, everybody is investing all these dollars and they've got the rents are up. Bill couldn't find a place. I don't know where Bill went. Yeah. So that's now the downside where I go. That's a downside of all of this development yeah. uh, that now you start to lose good people. And so how do we how do we develop the community and let values come up, right? And get rid of vacant homes and people that are committing crimes. How do we do that? But yet not lose Bill. Yeah. And part of the neighborhood's charm, too, has been its history of having lots of artists in there, lots of kind of yeah. college students yeah. and younger folks, and then having... Um, just, you know, lower income folks who are just great and add to the character of the neighborhood. Mm. And as the type continues to rise up, you know, without programs or assistance or, you know, dedicated artist housing or things like that being forecasted and thought of, we could lose some of that character and it becomes yeah. Yeah. a lot of these, you know, um, typically tends to be kind of like empty nesters or mm. folks that can come in and purchase these homes and, and drop 300, 400,000 on it. And it changes the character of the residents that live in the neighborhood. It, although maybe the homes are more spiffed up and there's less cars in the street because there's no longer 12 people living in a home, it's now just two or three, um, you know, it, it, it changes. And would you say, I feel like I've heard a, a lot of people talk about West Central and half the charm is is just the diversity of the people that are there. Like, yeah. and the having the artists want to live down there, I mean, is half of the charm, wouldn't you say? I, I, mean, I think so, because I think one of the, things that folks in West Central know that I always try to share about it when people ask, you know, what makes the character neighborhood so fun is we have these porch parties yes. on Fridays. <laughs> so basically there's this email list. When you move into the neighborhood, you get on this email list and uh, a great resident we've got sends out a list. He says, hey, next week there's going to be the porch party at Ben and Tammy's place or so-and-so's place. And basically you just bring a bottle of wine or something to drink and you bring some food and you'll have between 30 to 70 people on the front porch, around the kitchen, on the back porch, um, and that's kind of how you hear some neighborhood gossip. Who's going to sell their home? What's going on with that house down the street? But it, it's just a really, really fun mix of you get folks from all sectors of the neighborhood and all income levels, and they're just sharing and talking and, and meeting. That's folks. so neat. That's what I've really been drew to a me few in. those porch parties, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can never leave here. I I ended up moving out of West Central, and there, that's the part that I miss the most. So. I'm curious for you, how has it been? I mean, you're moving in, you're young, but you're taking charge. Have you felt like really welcome by, you said like the old guard, like how does, what's that relationship like moving in and kind of, you know, there's people I've been here for 20 years or I'm, you know, like, right. and who are you? You're this young kid. What's that like, that I, generational? I think it's, uh, and I can even sense it too. And when you take on more roles, you kind of get your arms wrapped around it and you mm -hmm. say, this is my stuff that I'm going to do because I know how to do it. And so to try to wedge in there from someone who's, who's like this year I'm leading the Home and Garden Tour and to kind of get the information out of folks who have done that for so long, it's, it's difficult. But I think they see the value too in knowing, hey, I don't have to do this forever. 
there's this next generation that's stepping up. They're going to have a couple different ideas than what we've done. But what makes something fresh and fun is having, like this is the 37th year of the Home and Garden Tour. But, you know, things have changed each year, and that's what makes it fun and fresh, and folks love coming back to see what's new. And, you know, 10 years ago, I think they added Arts Fest, which is where you get live music down there and 64 art vendors. And that would have been a change from the 27th annual Home and Garden Tour. But, I mean, folks... Couldn't imagine not having Arts Fest and you get a thousand folks up and down Wayne Street doing that, the food trucks, all that. So that's cool. And yeah. so you feel like they've just really, like, you know, been really accepting to like new ideas? I, I, I think so, yeah. Sometimes um, you, you might have to wait to implement an idea until you've got it, and then you might see, man, you know, I see why they've been doing it for 37 years like that. Because I we tried yeah. to change it up and it just didn't work and that's that's how it's gonna. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I think with getting new blood, and we can have new blood. That's a new couple that's in their seventies that move into the neighborhood and just shake things up. Yeah. It doesn't have to be newer, younger folks. I mean, I think Ben's showed folks the neighborhood who are from out of town, from Maine or from Canada, who just love the vibe of the neighborhood and they're gonna come in and shake things up too. That's awesome. So. The Home and Garden Tour has been going on for a while, and it's definitely something we'll have to talk about it, uh, on this podcast because it's just really kind of like, uh, you know, people look forward to it like it's a big festival or something. The, the Home and Garden Tour is really something to see. Um, but you guys put a lot of effort into it, so can I ask, what are some things that you're wanting to do that's different than all of the other 30-some years? Can you share a few things with us? Yeah, I'd like to jump in. Yeah. So as we talked about these different areas, we have homes. Mm-hmm. Instead of just the houses being on Wayne and Barry, and sometimes Jefferson, we're actually showing houses this year on Garden Street and over on Rock Hill Street and over on Jackson Street and maybe off of Levina Street. And so we've got half the houses there, and some of those have been very well done. Um, but then the question was, how do we move people from Wayne and Barry, or how do people get because it's a little bit wider footprint now. And whenever we've stretched the houses out too far, I see people coming in almost desperate for a glass of water or something to eat. Or, you know, it's just not everybody can run a marathon. And it's, and I don't want to make it sound like it's 26 miles, but yet for some folks, it, it's, a, it's a lot of walking. Yeah. So Tyler did some research and found that we could afford a trolley that would do a loop with some several spots to make it easier so everybody would have a chance to get through all the houses um, and see a different part of the neighborhood. So I'll, I'll hand it back to you. And what's cool with that too is a lot of these homes now that the area of restorations expanded beyond Wayne and Barry, Jefferson, Washington, Wilt Street, you know, a lot of these are first-time homes. You look back at the list of the homes that have been on the Home and Garden Tour the past 37 years. Some of them have been on eight or nine times, and they're they're great, beautiful homes. But it's it's really cool. If, if someone's come all, come all 37 years, they're going to see a, a number of new homes that have never been on before. And if you're a younger couple who can't drop 350000 on a home, but you've always wanted to live in West Central, and now you can see where there's maybe a home on Wilt or on, Wayne, on Wilt Street or on Levina, you could think, man, we could move in here, restore some of these homes like the other ones we've seen on the tour that are restored, and this would be a great place because we want to live downtown and be near all that yeah. action and vibe. And you look out your back porch and you see the six-story brick electric works and you know that you got the farmer's market. 
and that indoor food hall is going to be a, a, a block from you and that big indoor climbing gym is going to be two blocks from you and you can walk to everything. That's I don't know. So it, it just gets people who want to live in the area kind of in and, and see that whole part of the neighborhood that they might not have seen before. Yeah, and you're seeing somebody else. Like, you're literally walking through their home, and, like, yeah, we did it. Like, mm-hmm. it's possible. Because, I mean, when you're walking into a home like that, you're like, this nothing's possible here. Like, I mean, just naturally, I think most of us are like, whoa. Mm-hmm. But then when you can walk into a finished product, it's like, oh, wait, they did it. Maybe I could do it, too. So I think that's the neat thing about your guys's, you know, home and garden tour. And when normally is your guys's the arts fest the weekend after labor day so it's going to be saturday september 7th and then sunday september 8th it's generally starts at 11 o'clock and then runs to five o'clock just two of the homes that night up until like eight o'clock on saturday we're gonna have live bands playing and then all day saturday and sunday we'll have live bands food trucks 64 art vendors so um just like it's a great time to come down when the weather cooperates or when the weather doesn't Mm -hmm. so like two years ago we had the best weather and it was like the best home and garden tour we've ever had last year we had a uh, hurricane blow through <laughs> and uh the weather, the weather was great <laughs> yeah. and it was the, and it was the second best home and garden tour we've ever had what? In, in terms of like That's attendance awesome. and it was it was just a hair shy of the year before so we wonder Dang. if we would have had great weather it would have blown the roof off of, of records in the past because i think oh more goodness. and more and more yeah. folks want to get down there sure. and see it Yeah, the goal, you know, we talk about some dollars because that's our most important fundraiser for the neighborhood. But really the goal of the Home and Garden Tour is to showcase the homes that we have and have folks have that interest to move in. Mm -hmm. We've heard a lot of folks that said, well, yeah, I came through a Home and Garden Tour and then we decided we wanted to live here. We eventually found a house and then we moved. So in my mind, that should be the goal. (laughs) It should be the goal. Yeah. Is as we look... And I think it's really important to help us develop our neighborhood mm-hmm. to Absolutely. showcase it and let people that want to live there, give them a chance to live there. Um, I love it all day long. In terms of like what makes he- neighborhoods healthy or like what are some of the key indicators? Curious from you guys' perspective, both maybe you have a general thought on turn- on that, that question of what makes a healthy neighborhood healthy, but what makes West Central healthy as a neighborhood? You know, I think having a vibrant mix, you know, some folks think if you have all homeowners and no renters, because some people might say, well, when you have people that rent homes, they're less invested in it. They're less likely to maybe shovel the drive and things like that. But with having a portion of the neighborhood be rentable, you can get folks that come in and contemporarily live in the area, maybe for college, for work, and find out they love the area and then make that next jump and maybe live and move in. Mm-hmm. Um, so because because if you could only come to the neighborhood if you bought a home, that just sure. kind of excludes a, a large number of folks. Oh, yeah. What's the rental ownership mix in West Central? Do you know? Off the top of your head? I think it's 60, 40, 60 homeowner, 40 rental, I think. I, it keeps changing. Yeah. You know, there are less rentals today than there were yesterday, but I think it keeps changing. Ben, real estate is such a huge part of neighborhood health and stability in terms of that finding that mix. Do you have any sense of like what, what, uh, what for West Central or or any thought? What do you feel like is the right mix of ownership versus rental in terms of like stability, neighborhood health, dishealth? I think it could stay at sixty forty. I think we might even get to seventy thirty. 
uh, one of the things that I think is important to delineate between an absentee landlord and a resident landlord. Mm. So lots of us in West Central are multi-property owners because you know sometimes it's just you want to control those properties. Um, sometimes it, you know, maybe 10 years ago before me, I heard folks would buy the house next door because the tenant that was there was pretty rough to live by. And so they would buy it, have that tenant leave, and they would fix it up and they would get a new tenant. So I think with the right mix with resident landlords or That's folks that are arrested in the neighborhood and are going to maintain the house and do good things and, and have good people live mm -hmm. in them, I think it's really important for the diversity of the neighborhood to have that mix, mm -hmm. homeowner and renter. That's a great distinguishing point. We often just hear that percentage as being bad, but there's you're you're describing another layer to that whole conversation, which is which is really important for neighborhood health. What are some other things that you would kind of say that makes West Central healthy? I I think you have to have houses. And so when I first came into the neighborhood, everyone was fighting to save houses. And they needed to do that because they were getting torn down and they didn't want them torn down. And one of the comparisons, if you go to East Central, East Central doesn't have very many houses left, uh, but they were all torn down. And we didn't want that to happen. So we went through a period and I heard myself say, well, to have neighbors, you have to have houses. So, <laughs> so we would, so it was on a very basic level, we would fight to save houses. We don't need to fight to save houses anymore. The market's doing that. Uh, and so it was a, a, I saw it as a challenging transition for the neighborhood leadership to change from fighting blight to capitalizing on this growth opportunity that now we were afforded. Um, and I think we're making that change. I mean, it's, it has taken some, some change, some folks and some, some folks having a different mindset and, and view, but to capitalize on that, act, on that opportunity to develop has been key and I think really crucial for us to get to where we are today and for us to see tomorrow. Right, and I guess to highlight on that too, it's just a little bit where maybe if you look 10 years ago, you would have some homes where there'd be a huge hole in the roof there'd be windows shattered on it and city code would come in and say, we want to take that home down. Mm -hmm. And the, a lot of folks in the neighborhood would kind of band together and say, you know, the market's not there really for someone to come in and buy that and drop a 200,000 and fix it up because it's only going to be a $40,000 home, but they were able to kind of mothball it for long enough that now that this 120 year old home saved the, the markets come in where someone can buy it for 40,000 and put 150,000 into fixing the foundation and the roof and, putting cute siding on it and neat windows and neat mold molding and it looks great and, and it can sell and you can get great folks that live in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there was a group, a solid group of folks and some still live in the neighborhood that many years ago fought for houses and would mothball a house, fix the roof and yeah. do something to the outside and just let it set vacant. Yeah. Uh, those guys get the credit. For saving the neighborhood it's huge you know tyler and i are coming in behind it mm -hmm. right but they those guys saved the neighborhood you know and i've had a chance to save a few houses but boy i don't get the credit for that these guys get the credit that saved all those houses uh, because now there's houses and those are tough fights against the city when the city comes in they want to do that but i mean we've just had a lot of tough tough characters in there that save it that's a huge distinguishing fact and i think that's really unique for 
or West Central that isn't necessarily the case in a lot of other neighborhoods that even may have some characteristics of health. Uh, for a lot of neighborhoods, the, the blight elimination may be the better strategy because of the, uh, the lack of economic opportunity of the, th- the momentum that's going on adjacent or w- within the neighborhood that ends the type of housing stock that is even existing in terms of the marketability, what, what foresight um, some of those, those neighbors had in terms of it's coming, we need this property, it's, it's better for it to continue to sit vacant for five, ten years before, before it really develops. Mm-hmm. Are there anything else that comes to mind in terms of this like neighborhood health perspective that you guys would relate to your story? Well, the Bright Elimination Program um, you know, we have a lot of say if it's local historic area, but we don't have as much say if it's not. So that area between the tracks and Taylor, we lost five homes over the last year or two to the blight elimination program. So they're now empty lots. And it's been a very controversial thing in West Central right now. Um, very hotly debated. I mean, we've had the last two association meetings, mm-hmm. fair amount was spent with residents. I mean, almost yelling, I mean, you know, about what's going on. So that happens, and once the the houses are taken down, then the city takes over those lots. And then they look for a developer that's for highest and best use. Uh, And then that developer now uh, partners, and they come in, and they're going to build five homes there. And it's through a a lease program. So if you are in a certain uh, income level, you could lease that property for 15 years, end up with a very small mortgage, and they're quality built homes. But the homes didn't fit the neighborhood. They were squatty and attached garages and 70-foot driveways in the back. And so the developer, uh, Kevin Biggs, who's also the developer of Electric Works, is part of that group, uh, he's been great to work with. And we've made some real changes to that first initial program, what they were going to do. And I think that this is part of this affordability. And, you know, Kevin would say, well, Ben, you guys fix up houses and they get really expensive. Yeah. This program actually lets people afford, it's affordable living, but they're quality people. It's a very structured program and it makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's that's something that that we're now behind. You know, we had a lot of questions up front, uh, but we're now behind that. And that is going to now become part of this mix as we talked about gentrification and community development is how do these different income levels afford to be there, you know, Tyler mentioned the workers' cottages, fixing those, which is, I think, a great point. Below that, it might be a program like what's going to happen on those five properties. So that now is now as we're talking, it's got to be part of that mix. That's an answer for West Central. Uh, like you're saying, it's coming out of a an increased awareness of the the impacts of gentrification and saying, how do we not gentrify ourselves? Like. We want to take responsibility and be active and good neighbors and preserve the place that we care about. And we live out of our position, our interest, and our willingness to invest. But that does have an impact. And when you get relational and you can get some names like Bill or whatever, mm-hmm. then you begin to ask questions about, okay, okay, let's. what is the role of gentrification? Do we just want to be the things that we love in terms of socioeconomic diversity or the type of people that find value here, that could go away. And if we care about that, we've got to do something about it. Um, or at least start having those conversations in, mm-hmm. in meaningful ways. Uh, how have those types of conversations been with during neighborhood association meetings? But, so, you know, one of the concerns when you say folks are going to come in 
uh, and they need affordable housing, the question is, well, what will those people do? You know, who are they? Um, they're not very well invested, right? There's, you know, if they can come in and get affordable living, are they going to be good neighbors or not? I mean, there's that I think becomes the biggest question is everyone's looking for, we need a healthy, we need clean people, friendly people, low crime, you know, good home values, good stable, you know, good infrastructure, good lighting, good streets, good all that. You know, how will they, how will the bringing in this element, is it a good element? Is it, mm -hmm. you know, what is this element? That has probably created the most angst as to what that question is. Yeah, because you can't just say, oh, only artists who are creative, and if you're a musician, if you're gonna, you, you can't, I mean, there's really no way to filter out you know who's coming in so I mean as much as you you also don't want like the reverse of that to where it's you know oh only people who can afford houses that are 300,000 so I mean and I think we've seen too in the the news over the past maybe two years there's been other neighborhoods that have, have really put up a big fight against any kind of low-income subsidized housing coming into their neighborhood and I, I don't think we have that approach because the thought is you know you could go to the nicest neighborhoods in Fort Wayne and there's going to be crappy neighbors at every level of that kind of great, yeah. great neighbors yeah, and crappy neighbors. But as, as long as it's a, a good quality program where there's vetting in terms of, of who's going to come in, it adds the richness and diversity of the neighborhood where mm -hmm. it's at all different income levels. Yeah. And you look at any big city that's also gone through gentrification issues, the ones that have really made those neighborhoods work have been ones that have been able to keep folks in at different income levels. And there's a certain part of like it's not so much about who who are we attracting and who are we keeping, like um, there might be good neighbors that we that this is an opportunity for them to, to not just stay and be an active part but also get a, a better living situation which contributes to them maybe being a better neighbor, uh, through a different type of programming or more affordable housing that they get an get an upgrade in some way so. Mm -hmm. Well, I hear you guys dancing around a question that we like to ask people a lot. So, drumroll, what does it mean to be a good neighbor, according to Tyler and Ben? Well, I think you got to know your neighbor's names around you and have an eye on their property. they got an eye on your property, and you just get to know them. And we've got that infrastructure built in place where you've got porch parties and you've got different events. Um, and really, I mean, even you look at like the... Geography of the neighborhood, and it's you have smaller lot sizes, so you're gonna get to know your neighbor. Yeah. I mean, Ben, I think you had a home on Jefferson where there was three feet in between the homes. So you live in such close proximity, you really got to get to know your neighbors, and we're a neighborhood that you do that. Yeah, I guess you guys don't have like driveways that people drive up in, then they go in the garage, then they go in their houses. It's like yeah. that's not the structure of. West Central for the most part. <laughs> you know, we don't want to see attached garages. I mean, we literally <laughs> yeah. will fight for a detached garage and a front porch. Uh, awesome. Because we think that that whole mindset, which is suburbia, you go home, you shut your garage door, and then that's all you see. You know, I meet lots of people, you know, all over Fort Wayne, and they a lot of times, well, I wave at my neighbor, but they don't know their neighbors. And when you have a porch party... You know, the first house we did, the house was all jacked up and you could literally just crawl right into the basement. And we had all building materials and all the stuff over there. And the neighbors on the behind the alley, they would watch. And if a truck would drive through slowly, they'd be flickering their lights to say, hey, we're watching you. We never had anything stolen. We never had any problems there. Um, but, you know, that was where, you know, we got that done. And I was like, oh, my goodness, because 
that was this huge thing and to have people come do bad things it's already super expensive it's already hard because we were working full-time jobs when we did that so you know you just to have that really set a tone for us as we walked into the neighborhood and even though that we moved now to another street because in my business we kind of keep moving around uh, when we see them they still come up and give us hugs we see them at porch parties you know, we still see them often enough, and we we'd consider them very, very good friends, and they're welcome to come in our house at any time. That's so neat. So you'd say being a good neighbor is looking out for each other, and basically a you know creating type of a type of family where you know mm-hmm. one another and you're spending time together and <coughs> investing in one another. And you're visible. I mean, I, I think when we were talking yes. about how do you like what's what's the the brain of the neighborhood? We're like a front porch neighborhood, and that's where all, all these homes have these really neat porches on the front and the homes that are getting restored are getting porches built on them because mm-hmm. I'd almost challenge anyone who doesn't live in the neighborhood to take any of the River Greenway trails because they all almost intersect in the neighborhood and go up any of the streets and you'll just see people on the porches mm-hmm. Friday night, Saturday night, just, you know, just wave. It, it's so just, neat. it's friendly I've people. I've never thought of that before. Like, you know, I mean, just the first time that I was like, oh yeah, if you have a garage, you go in your garage and you're gone. Like... And then a front porch is the very opposite of a garage. You're sitting out on it. You're, you can see everything that's happening. I mean, to be able to have that awareness of who's out there, who lives next door to you, what their names are. I mean, that's where that happens is on that front porch in your front yard. That's where that conversation is going to happen. So, I mean, it's just really a beautiful idea that there, it's so much more than a place where you sip your tea. It's a place where you meet your community. So... Nice. Yeah, there's a lot Jeez, of wine guys. that gets drank. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of wine. You know, Sorry, did West I say Central, tea? I mean. <laughs> yeah, West Central. We joke that West Central is kind of a drinking neighborhood at times. It uh, feels that way. You know, even in the backyards, we rec- we don't recommend the six-foot privacy fence. We would recommend a four-foot picket or four-foot or even if or even the five-foot cedar fences that have the lattice work. Just so you can see your neighbor when you're mm. in your backyard. We also think it's an important part of it. Yeah, and that's such a great point on like the the role of influencing and offering those types of suggestions, or even in times creating certain codes for for fence size. Often is looked at as a negative. Like, how dare you tell me to build your fence? But in terms of creating a community and a culture and an expectation that that is mutually beneficial for the relational engagement and the health and safety of the neighborhood, once you start telling a different narrative with those ideas, then it starts to connect with people and saying that, you know, maybe if this is, if that's not kind of in your realm, maybe this isn't the right neighborhood for you because it's going to get real personal around West Central. So, mm-hmm. you know, be ready <laughs> for that in, for in, some, in some way. Yeah, everybody kind of knows everything, so they know all the good stuff, and they kind of know some bad stuff too, right? So, I mean, but that's how it is. You just yeah, go down not there. Yeah, everyone here. Yeah. And it's okay. <laughs> oh, I love well, it. as we uh, wrap up here, thank you so much for your time and for yeah. your leadership in the neighborhood and choosing to participate with this kind of project with us as we try to learn. Uh, our desire in NeighborLink is to really try to take what are some best practices and things that are working, not just. In general, we're going to look at some of those things, but also specifically to neighborhoods and how the culture and the makeup and how all that kind of fits together so we can help, potentially help some other neighborhoods continue to learn and identify, like create their own more community. We think that being a neighbor is a big part of that, but it takes work like you guys have been doing for years in the Neighborhood Association to make that happen. And so 
Thank you for that. Thanks for being a part of Neighboring and looking forward to the next phase of this research. Uh, until, until next week. <laughs>